Ladies and gentlemen, for what is going to be the final time, welcome back to another episode of the Cal Rivals Excellent Podcast Experience. I am joined by my longest running and greatest of my partners, Trace Travers. That is objectively a correct fact. Trace Travers, how are you doing? I'm all right. Made myself a nice chicken stew. I got my dog on one side here, so we're doing good in the neighborhood. We are great. Uh, any big plans for the upcoming holidays, Trace? Just family stuff, as always. <laughs> you get to come back up to the Bay Area for this? Um, Because we did a uh, run through all of our families in last month for Thanksgiving, uh, we, we got our last chance to like kind of bag out of, of not having to do anything this time. So uh, we'll be staying home, and uh, I'll I'll cook kind of a special uh, Christmas evening meal, um, and you know we'll we'll just we'll we'll enjoy some time to ourselves, uh, you know, over the next year. So uh, as kind of the last time before we head back next year is what I mean. Um, so before we get into the rest of the things, listeners, uh, I was not baiting you. Uh, this will be the final episode of the Cal Rivals Excellent Podcast Experience. That's like fate. Um, and that's mostly because, as you already know, I'm stepping back from the Cal thing, and it just made sense that, well, if I'm no longer playing, I, I'll still be around. Like, you'll still see me shit posting on Twitter and whatnot and making appearances, but uh, I don't feel beholden to the fact that I need to rationalize or or figure out what everything means in the big picture so we are going to be ending this podcast series after tonight um thank you so much for all the support and all the listening that you guys have done i don't know why uh that you've stuck with me through three series of partners and with me and trace for the last three seasons and um it's been a great run uh trace i don't I, i'm sure we'll come back to this but i don't know if you have anything you want to say about that to, to open uh I, i'm just here so i don't get fined i don't know uh, that's about I'm, as good of a I'm response su- as you can give i'm surprised that no one's like yelled us into stopping at this point so. honestly me too like I'm, I'm i'm truly stunned and i i want to give a quick shout out here to to rob and andy and avi um, you know, our friends uh, at at Right for California who started moving into the Twitter space and stuff, and you can see who's listening on those, and I'm just so terrified. If I ever knew that people from the program were actively listening to me, I would just, like, have a panic attack on the air. Th- this we could get away with because we have no idea who's listening or not. Yeah, man, anyone can, like, no one's yelled at us telling us we're wrong, so... It's great. It's or maybe they have. I've muted a lot of people. <laughs> well, Who knows? we'll 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 no longer need to be doing that after this week. So uh, things that we're planning to cover: a little bit of USC talk, a little bit of season retrospective, a lot of signing day things uh, that we hadn't talked about yet, uh, just because I was finishing the semester and so were you. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with the USC game, in which. Cal defeats the Trojans at home for the first time in, was it 17 years? Uh, 18. 18 years, man. I mean, the more important part was your retirement party beforehand, so. Um, you know, and I'm, 
I'm bummed out that it wasn't for stakes and that they won't be going to any bowls, let alone the Gator. Uh, we'll get to uh, that later. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's tough because you want to be able to enjoy something like that, right? Like everybody remembers where they were for the SC game in 03, the triple overtime. Tyler Fredrickson wins it in triple overtime. Like everybody remembers where they were. And I wish that we had won again in better circumstances. It was the first, again, it was a lot of firsts, though. Beating USC obviously has meaning. First time they've won in the Joe Roth throwback uniforms. First time they've beaten them in 18 years. Um, First time they've beaten Stanford and USC in the same season in 18 years. And, you know, one terrible blowout at UCLA uh, from finishing something that no team has done since, what, 59, like... It was right there. 58, really. 50, 58, yeah. But, Bay this Cal season is over. Unless, for some reason, Utah has to get out of the Rose Bowl and Cal ends up going to the Rose Bowl that way. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, like, the team improved, got better, played some youth that they're going to need to lean on heading into next year. Um, but I don't think anybody's satisfied, let alone the people that's internally in the program. Like, because I think they know that they underachieved this season. There's, there's that. And there's simultaneously that feeling and the feeling that, Hey, you aren't actually that far away from being as good as you want to be. And I think, I think they're both the two sides of the same coin at that point. Just, different perspectives it's just so frustrating because you want to be in a place now in year five with justin wilcox where like i want to believe right and i think i represent uh, a not not insignificant amount of people who's kind of like look we love the program we like justin wilcox justin wilcox turned down oregon which happened in between now and the last podcast right like we would like him to win here we would like him to be successful but this obviously wasn't a year that that proves all that uh back to back or two out of three wins against stanford is a big deal obviously uh can't take those things for granted but i think we wanted to see something more definitive this year and um that didn't happen and that puts us all in in a weird place i, but, I will say that there's I mean, there's a large, a large enough portion of people who would rather not have Wilcox anymore, and you know, that's gonna happen these days. I think the just firing people as quickly as they do in college football is a relatively recent trend. Like, you see other teams, um, not to say that Cal is going to get to this level under Justin Wilcox, but I think, I want to say, not this decade, but the last decade, like, coaches in which, what year to get to their first national championship. And this past decade, it's been, like, you know, within the first four years at a school. And that hasn't always been the case. It's just been that way because of Nick Saban's murder machine. But... I think the same thing applies for when you're talking about conference championships. Getting there early is a more recent thing. 
but there's also guys like a Kyle Whittingham who I think this past year is his first ever Pac-12 championship, and he's been at Utah for God knows how long. So there's what I'm what I'm making a long roundabout point to is that a lot of people don't give things time to happen, and I'm not saying that it necessarily will happen. It's just there there's a certain amount of belief in Justin Wilcox and that they aren't that far away at this point. Now, whether or not you believe that's true, and, and I'm not saying Trace specifically, I'm talking about you, the listener, again, don't know why you're still doing this, right? The royal you, right? Like, whether or not you want to believe in that, like, I think just the show of, hey, he was offered the Oregon job straight up and said no again is the kind of, like, he either really believes in what's, I, I think it's a combination, okay? It's a combination of he really believes in what they're building here, and uh, I have no reason to think that he doesn't believe in that project. Uh, two, he's smart enough to understand that the expectations at Oregon are not aligned to what he wants to do, um, which is fair. Like, that's a that's a skill in life, knowing what's a good situation for you and what's not. Um, and just... Like, I think both of those things make him somebody that the fans would like to root for, um, even though I may not have... Like, this is my baseline for next year. I'm going to jump back in the wagon if they can qualify for a bowl before November. And if for some reason, I'm just putting this out there as good energy into the universe, they win at South Bend. They win at South Bend... They they are six and two or six and three. That would give me enough to believe. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, everybody's gonna have their own expectations. I I have gone over the last year to the Ted Lasso rom communism levels of expectations. Have none of them whatsoever, and whatever happens, happens. The universe is gonna turn out the way it's going to. So. I mean, the last two years have, have, have really shown that, right? Like, everything was fine, and then all the wheels came off at the exact worst times. And we're entering year three next year of the Bears being whispered as a potential dark horse contender. And I think it does speak to kind of how Wilcox is viewed externally outside of our fan base um, that, you know, people keep thinking that the Bears could break through, and that's the same storyline that they're heading into in 2022 that was this year's and last year's. And I mean, if you look at it from the angle of, hey, Oregon has a new coach now, Washington has a new coach, Washington State has a new coach, Stanford, though they had a surprisingly good recruiting class, they... Trending down. Can I say something that I've been thinking all week? Yes, yes. They call their offensive line the Tunnel Workers Union, but I could not think of a school that's less likely to be pro-union than Stanford. Oh my god, do they actually? Yes. That's uh, so... Yeah. It's just one of those things where you're like, no, you're you're not allowed to do this. (laughs) I I don't know. It's the whole nerd nation thing all over again. That's something that inexplicably that pisses everybody off truly like just this idea that stanford wants to pitch themselves as like a blue collar like people like like shut the fuck up okay (laughs) are you fucking kidding me 
Like it, that school is a beacon, and no disrespect to anybody. Like I'm just saying, for Cal's me, new DB coach, Terrence Brown, <laughs> attended Stanford, so we will. You know what? Thank you for saving me from that. Uh, actually, that literally just broke tonight. So, quick details on Terrence Brown, Trace. Yeah. So, Stanford DB. Around the same time we were in school, actually. So he's the same age as us, which is terrifying. Um, let's see. Let's know. He was at UW for a few years as a grad assistant. Uh, went with Derek Mason, who was his defensive coordinator at Stanford, to Vanderbilt, surface the corners coach. Uh, got brought on as a DB's coach at Washington. Worked with uh, Jimmy Lake and Will Harris, which... Well, Jimmy Lake wasn't the best head coach. You know that guy can coach DBs. Absolutely. And they had some damn good DBs this past year. I believe they actually allowed the fewest passing yards in the country. Um, so Cal somehow threw for over 300 on him. So such is life. Uh, and but, lost. Uh, let's try not to. <laughs> yeah. This is an all-positivity podcast. <laughs> no, it's not. But... Um, so coming in, he's going to split the DB room with Trey Watson. That means Cal is going to have to, you know, split special teams duties among their coaches, which they sort of do or did already. Uh, in particular, Burl Toller coached, uh, kick returners, punt returners in the past. Uh, Regal had worked with, um, obviously the specialists, uh, Angus has a uh, special teams coordinator, stuff you know the db coaches would work on coverage with guys coverage units um there's a there's a lot of different ways you can slice it to be honest with you it's definitely an interesting ad just from the standpoint of like did they need another defensive backs coach i think people would probably look at the performance of the db room this year and say it's an odd decision um just from the standpoint of like hey they performed extremely well right like uh, Lou Hearns' development this year, obviously, is the is the biggest example of that. But even Isaiah Young, what you got from both safeties, like most people would, would yeah, like and Campbell's improvement too. Yeah, I here's what how I kind of maybe not rationalize it, but see it mm-hmm. that the defense defensive backs are the most important part of the defense. I, I think that's kind of been their priority ever since GA came in. And uh, recruiting defensive backs is one thing. I think it'll help to have two defensive backs coaches doing that, especially when you're going to need more. If we're in a world where there aren't too many teams who are base 12 personnel anymore, you're not going to play your base defense. You're playing five defensive backs. So it makes sense to have two DBs coaches from that angle. And even though, you know, like you said, Lou, rocket ship of development, Colin Gamble, Isaiah Young made big strides. The safeties made big strides. They were like Elijah Hicks had his best season in a Cal uniform. There's still, you know, we don't exactly know what goes on behind the scenes there. And it's possible that they thought, hey, you know, Trey could use a little bit of help here. He's still in his first, you know, couple of years with a full room on its own. And this is, a, I, I think it's weighing where your priorities lie going forward as far as roster building and 
from a coaching perspective. Yeah, um, it makes a lot of sense uh, when you explain it that way. I think it. I think what people would be surprised by, right, like on the other side of that, is just thinking, well, we lost the special teams coach. You would expect a special teams coach would come back in, um, given that. And obviously, Charlie Wagle has gotten a lot of heat over the last year and a half. But to be fair to him, right, like the the health issues, whatever aside, the special teams play markedly improved over the last year like that or the last two months of the season and that's fair to say um so i have only the best hopes for him um with his new gig and you know uh terrence brown is an interesting decision but coach wilcox has kind of had to face this situation a lot uh over his his tenure and He's pretty much replaced all the guys, like, semi-effectively. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll see how this works out. I don't... You can obviously win the headlines with good things, but, you know, Cal's best hire over the past five years as a position coach was somebody who nobody had ever heard of. Like, in GA. Let's yeah. put that out there right now. So... G- GA, man, because, like, when you and I started doing this, I looked at GA's resume, I'm like, are we sure about this? Like, like is it, is, like, and that's a miss for me, right? Like, but statistically, there was nothing to back that up. So, uh, and then arguably another really, really good hire from him um, internally, Andrew Browning, like, had never been a top-level position coach before. So, had it, you have but not at the Power 5 level, and he handled it fine. And he'll get to face Tony Tuioti, who's now at Oregon. So, so, so interesting. Shit moves too fast, man. Hell yeah. Is there any news yet on whether or not they're keeping DeRuiter? He's Texas Tech. Oh. Damn, when did that happen? I'm, I totally like, missed it. A week and a half ago. That happened oh right god. before signing day. Oh my god, that's there's too many things happening. Um, all right, so that's cool. I get it. Uh, yeah, no, that that's basically what it is. Um, anything else before we start getting into the 2022 recruiting class? Um, no, unless we you want to cuss out Stanford more, but we'll, no, we'll I mean, save that for it's, the ending. It's an abjectly, uh, no disrespect to Terrence Brown or him personally. I just think that that institution attracts the wrong kind of people. Uh, and that's the that's the core of my objections. But you know, I even this year my school produced a kid who is going to Stanford, and that's really exciting for her because I know her personally. Um, but I just think overall, uh, there's a lot of people who apply to Stanford because it's Stanford, right? Like, and and not because they want to actually do anything substantial with with what that degree allows. And I think that's up. A- Absolutely fair. Um, um, and with that, yeah. we'll move on to National Signing Day, early National Signing Day, that is. Raquel added two four-star commits on Signing Day, lost a defensive lineman under strange circumstances, let's so say. So unnecessarily dramatic. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just say that right now. Like, 
Is it a loss to lose Dominic Williams? Yes. Yes. However, and I think I've been very consistent about this for me personally, not like you can't get big defensive tackles on trees, uh, let alone guys who can qualify for Cal. That's just been the trend for a decade plus. Um, it's a loss. It, it de- there's no way to spin that, let alone losing it to your former head coach. Uh, that that's a loss, like every every day of the week. However. My personal preference is to have guys that can move on defense. That will be a theme of the next 30-ish minutes as we talk about this. Um, my preference is for guys who can move a little bit better than him. Big, strong, immovable, absolutely. But I like guys that can move on defense. And yeah, at least as, as junior tape, that was not what we were getting from Dominic Williams. And you saw it a little more as a senior. I thought they played him out of place at Alamany. But, you know, say la vie. He'll come here in the transfer portal in a couple years. So dramatic. Like, that 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 whole thing. Like, recommitting to Cal and then decommitting to Cal on one of the craziest stories that I think yeah. we talked about signing day. But let's start with the running back position because Aristotle Thompson did a good job this past or in over the last week there uh, snagging Ashton Hayes from... I mean, obviously, the coaches in Nebraska had to leave for him to flip the cow, but I really like Hayes' tape as far as not only being just fast in a straight line, but the lower body strength on some of the ankle tackles, and maybe I don't know how great the competition is there, but I do know that he was playing in a very run-heavy offense where... Uh, their quarterback, Robbie Snelling, is, uh, I believe, headed to LSU on a baseball scholarship. He was also their starting middle linebacker. So, not I exactly loving that kid really early in the cycle. He was at one time committed to Stanford to play baseball, but not going there anymore. He, honestly, I've been told he could have been a first-round baseball draft pick, and he may still very well be. But back to Hayes, fast. Now, you, there is a lack of some of that straight line speed in the Cal running back room right now. I mean, you have, Street can run a bit. Brooks had some bursts, but, you know, Damian Moore's probably going to be your lead back next year. And he's a very side-to-side type of guy, which you need. He's big. He can break tackles. He can... You know, find holes where there are none. He makes the right cuts. But you need that straight line speed with Hayes and uh, Jaden Ott, who we'll talk about. Another guy who recommitted to Cal, actually. So, there, it's it's a lot of talent for Aristotle Thompson in that room. It's definitely not common that both backs in the same class will have overlapping skill sets. Uh, throughout the last decade, when Cal has had two running backs, it's usually been guys that aren't quite so similar, but both uh, home run hitters. Like this year, Cal's probably best long distance runner uh, guy who would break it open is probably Marcel Dancy. You know, um, and given that, like they needed some speed. I think both guys are really good at that. Um, 
you know, Hayes also as a special teams contributor, uh, kick returner. Uh, I'm a really big fan of both guys. I think Ott, when I popped on his senior tape, uh, getting ready for the pod, like really surprised me with just how shifty he is. Um, and I know that I've already professed to kind of like a pre-existing bias to scat back types. Um, but I think he's going to be a really great contributor here, uh, just with how he sees things and how he makes things happen in, in the open field. Like, And I've been burned on this before. Zion Eccles, Billy McCrary, uh, you know, I've, I've been burned on guys like that before, but the Bears have really lacked somebody like Jaden Knott, and I'm really excited to see what he could do in Cal uniform. The one thing I will say about Ott that I mentioned to you yesterday was that he got less than 10 carries per game as a senior. So he, he was super productive. He had 10 yards per carry. It's just, it's one of those things that makes you wonder when you look at the stat, kind of take a step back. I don't know. I think you have a, you have guys that can run, obviously, in the room, so he won't be, like, depended on to carry the ball 30 times a game, and no one is anymore. But it's just something to keep an eye on. Um, with Ott, I think especially, you can kind of give him kind of a Nico package, like those designed and schemed up touches for just to get him in space. If he or Hayes is ready to go, I think both guys uh, could really benefit just from like designed things that would... Ott is coming in in the spring. So. Yeah, um, I think that obviously boosts his chances of playing right away next year. Chris Brooks transferring to Purdue, like, also clears some space in the running back room. Like, both guys, uh, because they're bringing something that the running back room doesn't have uh, right now, like, could be difference makers. Yeah. yeah. And with the Brooks transferring to Purdue, that we should probably talk about the a player to be named later in that trade of Jack Plummer, who has not, uh, his signing has not been announced yet, but he will be with Cal next year. As, as of right now, let's just put that out there. Stranger things have happened, things have changed, but the expectation is that he is coming to Cal. And just, I, I don't know how much you've watched on him, a lot that reminds me of Chase. Just not, neither good nor bad, but I think Purdue's offense is a little more, you know, short throws, get guys in space, let them run type deals. Like, I watched uh, all the games he started this year, and David Bell, their receiver who's going to the, to the NFL this in this upcoming draft, that guy is damn good. I had running in space, and he had a good weapon in him, but that also limited how much he threw downfield to begin with. And he had Rondale Moore before, obviously, so that also limited how much he was throwing downfield. So I didn't see him throw too many deep balls, and I, you know... Let me put the caveat out there saying that I couldn't do any of this, so I always feel weird about criticizing. I just wasn't as impressed as I think others have been. He'll he'll be good. I've, I've been told, you know, big guy, big arm, he's 6'5", 215, K 
can move around the pocket a bit, can run. They put him in there at Purdue because they wanted a guy who could move and who could run. So you have that option in there. I just, you know, I wanted to see more than maybe I did. I don't entirely know what I was expecting, and he could work out with a change of scenery. It's just his depth of target is relatively low, and it's hard the, to suss out if that's just like a function that's, of the offense or if it's some limitations. And I I do know Purdue runs a lot of RPO stuff. Uh, Brom Jeff Brom there is a very good quarterbacks teacher along with his brother Brian. They're both very good quarterbacks teachers, so I know he'll have a good base to work from when he comes to Cal. It's just a matter of, hey, is this the guy for the next year, or do you are you bringing him in to compete with Kai and Zach, and if Robbie Rowell comes back with him and Blake the Bishop, the other walk-on. So there's it's going to be interesting. I, I'm curious to see if one of the younger guys can rise up, take the mantle, and kind of be the guy for them. I think, given what we've heard about Kai Milner over the last year, right, like, incredibly talented, program super high on him, but just not physically ready uh, and mentally maybe not quite there yet. Uh, it's going to be a big year for him, obviously. Uh, the fact that the Bears have to, every team has to kind of go hunting in the quarterback portal now, just given the way things are going um, across the landscape. Like, it's pretty common that if a guy has to sit for at least one year, he might transfer to hell. Like, Quinn Ewers, right? Like, from uh, previously uh, the Ohio State University, actually just at Ohio State University since they lost this year. Uh, Previously of Ohio State, now going back to Texas, like transfers after a year and a million in NIL deals, right? Like, this is the new landscape. Here, I've got a piece of trivia for you. What was the last Ohio-based school to beat Ohio State? Um, I I don't know, man. What do you got? Oberlin College. Last happened in like the 1920s. Wow. Oberlin does not play football. No, no Ohio school has beat Ohio State since 1920. Somewhere in that decade. Wow, that's crazy. Um, I mean, that also explains, you know, their interest in Plummer, right? Like, they need no disrespect to Ryan Glover, right? Like, they're going to keep looking for those kinds of things to shore up the room because they've had a lot of attrition there over the last couple of years. And um, obviously, Justin Martin like decommitting was a big blow like there's no no way to get around that either yeah you you can't get around that that's rough honestly but it's the way things are and you have to move forward and figure it out and you have to win more and I mean we had this discussion already they not, you know not too far away but when's that not too far away going to turn into that? Yeah. With that, we will move on to the wide receiver position where uh, Javen Plummer and Mason Starling signed. I I watched Plummer for the first time in a while. I watched his whole senior highlight, and I thought, hey, this guy is you know, explosive. Not, not necessarily fast, but he's fluid. Mm-hmm. And 
fluidity is something that is a bit underrated at the wide receiver position. You know, this kid can move, he can block, he hits on defense, runs good routes, he's sharp. Now, you see why uh, Stanford offered as well, because he's a 4.0 kid, and he is in the mold of every single goddamn tall receiver that they've had in the past few years, so... <laughs> Similar to Elijah Higgins, honestly. Um, for me, Javen, uh, fine, really big dimensions, right? Like, a little bit thin, he's going to fill out. Uh, but I found myself very, and I want to say capital very, underline very, highlight very, impressed with Mason Starling. Like, I watched five snaps, and I was like, wait, what the fuck? Like, are you serious right now? Yeah, he's good. He's he, really good. Look, it, it's it's hard, right, like, to expect Juco guys to come in and just be contributors. That's not always been the case. Like, the first wide receiver recruit that I ever covered was the immortal Drake Whitehurst from City College in San Francisco. That was the first recruit write-up that I did 10 years ago. Uh, right? Like, these things don't always work out, especially when you're talking about guys jumping over from the Juco level. But Mason Starling is so far ahead of whatever talent he was playing against at CSM. Like, he is going to fill a really important role at Cal this year because the wide receiver room is so young. Um, talented, talented, but so young, so young. Like J Mike, we're turning the keys over. J Mike, Jeremiah, right? Uh, Baker, Mason Mangum, like all of those guys, Christakos, etc. Aiden Lee. They need an older guy in there. Mason Starling, skill set, speed. I know we were just blessed with Trayvon Clark, right? Like and. If he can replicate whatever Trayvon Clark did this year, that would be more than enough. Because um, that's not the norm. Like, Trayvon Clark going to the NFL this year, what a great story, by the way. One of my top stories of the year. Like, just totally unstable. over 20 yards a catch. That's hard to do in Insane. the best of circumstances. Starling, uh, so impressed. I can, 81 inch wingspan, which is nuts. That's six foot nine. I. Holy shit, this dude is 6'5", 200, and he's just, like, speeding past guys. Yeah, he's long speed, long arms. Gonna, gonna be very interesting. Also, he apparently wants to play on the kickoff team, which was, I think, Wilcox's best story, aside from going to Siwapi Vatikani's house at 6 in the morning. But we'll get to that shortly. Just, you don't get many guys who want to play on kickoff. I even though in my I played all the special teams units, it is my second favorite because you get to run down and hit people. So I'm just punt, punt, block, and return. So I'm really impressed by this addition. I think Starling, I'm very high on. Uh, given that he's only a two-star uh, by our own analysts, like I think he's a great candidate. I'm not him. gonna put too much stock into that rating. <laughs> he's really good. He's he's really good. I like because Trayvon Clark's tape was not this good. Like just for perspective, right? Like it's not close, but not quite. A star Starling 
guys, watch, watch the Starlight Tape. It's, it's ridiculous. Much like former WWE wrestler Tilo Brown, you'll be looking at the real deal now. It, the, re- the real deal. That's, that's the hope. Yeah. Um, and then we move to the offensive line. Excellent. Uh, so you have Vatikani, who I think is ready from what I've seen. Like if you're going to replace McCade, who may or may not transfer away, he put out something about transferring. He's in the portal right now. He may come back. We'll see. But Wait, he made an announcement about possibly not transferring? No, he, he put out, like, you know, thank you, everybody entering the transfer portal, but then deleted it. So This is very confusing. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't care at the end of the day. Either he's gone or he's not. He's it's in the portal right now. It's a, it's a Schrodinger's cat situation where he's like... Schrodinger's both. right guard. Yeah. But, so, you're going to need somebody if McCade's gone at one of those guard spots. I think Cal has guys who can play there right now, and Driscoll and uh, Everett Johnson, but I think there's a dark horse chance that Vatikani could fill that role. Wilcox set, has said that, hey, he'll be one of the strongest players on the team as soon as he steps on campus. And that is very intriguing at the guard spot. His film, I wasn't able to locate senior film. Yeah, neither was I. Be honest, I'm relying on a lot of impatient testimony. But as a sophomore, right? Like, I think it's oh, really easy. Yeah, he he was murdering dudes. It's so easy to see like why he had all these offers. Uh, this the junior film, which is the most recent one that people could find on Huddle, um, is a little bit less impressive. But it's easy to write off because hey, kids were at home for that junior season. Um, not really able to work out. It's like the peak of the pandemic, uh, which obviously we're still not through. But like when people weren't really able to dedicate themselves fully to football, um, Vatikani like definitely is going to play guard. Um, fits in there as naturally as anybody else. Uh, but if you really want to see like his full potential or what the coaches might hope that he becomes, like watch that sophomore film. Um, and internally, I've been told that they're they're pretty high on him. Uh, and now there's a hole for him to play with McCade's, like, somewhat, maybe the first transfer that's, like, somewhat unexpected for me. Yeah. Um, and with that, we'll, uh, let's see. Do you want to do Ramsey or Morrow next? I mean, it's a, it, I'm, I'm good with either. Let's go alphabetical, even though Vatikani's the last of them. <laughs> and go with... Uh, yeah, well, let's go reverse. Go Trent Ramsey, one of the surprises of signing day. Uh, a positive surprise. You know, Cal, yes. Cal, Cal had several positive surprises. star offensive lineman, which last one was Will Craig. So Ramsey uh, will be reuniting with Kai Milner, who they played together as sophomores at Hagley. Um, I think with a lot of offensive linemen film that you have at the high school level, you see them pulling or running or something with Ramsey. One of the biggest standouts is seeing him block a guy straight up overpower him and put him on the ground. That's not, not pulling just head up on a guy. Okay. I'm taking you, I'm getting you on rails and down you go. That that's what impressed me the most about his film. I think, you know, maybe, with the four-star rating, I expected a little bit more with him. But again, yeah. 
I'm glad I, you I, said that. Yeah. But uh, honestly, there wasn't enough film, I think, because it was like four minutes combined between senior and junior year. But, you know, he physically there. I think it'll be, you know, you'll have to get him acclimated to the next level, but he can move, he can block, he's strong enough, obviously. So it's a, it's a good get for Angus, who has been pretty, you know, maligned by a lot of people. And Cal's offensive line, I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but they improved a lot this year. Highest yards per carry, running the ball, cut sacks uh, on a per-game basis nearly in half. So there, there's a lot of good that has been done in the offensive line room, and getting Ramsey is another good thing. Yeah. Um, in my notes, I wrote all the things you want to see. Low pad level, base, moves well, absolutely folding guys at the point of attack. But offensive line is a crapshoot. Like, you and I both know this. Like, it's not against numbers. Just because, like, one, you got to just get bodies in there, and two, you have no idea how these guys are going to develop once they're against dudes that are actually their size. But you, more often than not, obviously you want to get uh, raw talent and skill level. So just from a complete standpoint, Ramsey is what you want to see. And we'll head to Nick Morrow now, who's going to be one of the more interesting developmental pieces going forward. Just 6'8", 255, uh, He's going to grow into being a tackle. He, he moves pretty well. <laughs> you don't catch the ball like he does without moving pretty well. Uh, I mean, I think one of the more telling uh, pieces of film was him. Other team ran a screen pass. He was playing defensive end. And he he's just, he's a wall on his own. He jumps up, he intercepts it, he returns it to three yards <laughs> into the end zone for the the pick six and I was like that's the easiest pick six I think I've ever seen so but you know when you're able to do that and then you're going to be an offensive lineman you can move he'll have to work on you know pass sets and everything but I think there's plenty of potential there and this is a guy who was I think squatting over 500 pounds prior to the season which is that's not easy to do normally and when you're tall you have further to go. You have more pressure on your knees. That That's even more difficult. So I'm very enthused about his potential. Just have to see him do it. He's going to be kind of a longer-term guy just with that weight transition he's going to have to make. So, um, you know, like, it's okay to take a longer-term guy in your offensive line class when you have four guys uh coming in uh we haven't talked about jackson brown yet uh wait is jackson brown? he's not signed yet is he still signing uh signing in february mirroring what his father has done in the past or did in the past okay i was i was under the assumption that he was still on the way but but with the the point that i was trying to make is like because uh, we had talked about this in classes past before right like if you have a couple of guys that you could kind of project more clearly uh, a Vatikani, for example, like uh, a Ramsey, uh, it makes it okay for you to have somebody who you're like, well, we'll invest in him and see what he is down the line. That's kind of what you see with, with Nick Morrow. Uh, somebody who can, has to be able to move around, played both sides of the ball already, 
he's just kind of going to bulk up and, and make that full transition. Um, I think he's a very interesting project, definitely. I'm just going to interrupt you before we move on to the defensive side of the ball. There's an opening in the Hawaii Bowl now, so if Cal can the, the, get their the team ba- together, send him to Hawaii before tomorrow. The, the Bears may yet still play, right? Like Absolute, just, It's not good. Not for that game, no, but... Hawaii is not even. Hawaii is not even going to participate in the Hawaii Bowl. In the Hawaii Bowl, and I think, in the best interest of public health, it's probably not good to send a whole plane load of mainlanders to the old (laughs) islands. Well, I mean, look, I didn't think that they were going to play in the Gator Bowl anyway, but it was a fun. It was a fun few hours. Yeah, like the players were tweeting it, like. I mean, logistically, it would have been incredibly difficult, uh, let alone the fact that the team hasn't practiced in a couple of weeks. Like, it's... They, they were third on the 5-7 and seven APR list, and Rutgers was first. I had heard initially that Rutgers had turned it down, but apparently that wasn't true. So, um, Justin Wilcox, uh, like, adding to this idea that he'll play anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place, like... I stole from Pat Hill in Fresno State. Like, I am just really impressed that the players' attitude is like, yeah, fuck it. We'll take the, we'll, we'll take the game. Because he's played in worse, right? Like, this is a man who won games on Sunday morning at 2 a.m. He has taken a game on 48 hours notice. Like, I just love the ethos, right? Like, I, I think that's why I want him to succeed so badly is, like, the brand of football – uh, or, or maybe not the brand. That's not the right word. Uh, the, the, the identity of the team, right, is a very attractive uh, way to go about it. Um, who knows, you know, with with the way things are going since the Hawaii thing just broke live right now. Like, they may still be in a bowl game. Yeah, Memphis is already there, so they got a nice little vacation out of it. <laughs> maybe they can, like, postpone it for a week and send another team down there. Yeah. Uh, Someone's saying, to... what, are the, what are the odds that all the players just told Todd Graham they have COVID so they don't have to play for him? <laughs> uh, good, good, good times. I mean, look, the Cal guys would take a trip to Hawaii right oh, now. I think most people would take a trip to Hawaii right now. Yeah. The one time I have been to Hawaii was after Christmas and into January, and it was so, so nice. Wow. So, still, still waiting to make my way out there someday. I was ten, so <laughs> that'll, <laughs> that'll tell you a few things. But um, on the other side of the ball, where do you there's want to only four signees right now. It's relatively small. Obviously, the Dominic Williams thing happened, and Cameron Sidney hasn't been announced as a signee publicly, so he won't. I I expect him to sign. Still, there's some uh, family stuff there. Apparently, I can't i don't have specifics at the moment but uh so he's good i just i just want like he's he's very good yeah he's under kind of like lou and kind of like isaiah young smaller dude super competitive did very well against t-mac of servite who's now going to arizona it's a whole deal but, if I can place receipts on a guy from a different team, T-Mac is maybe the best receiver I've ever seen. Like, Yeah, <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that assessment. He was 
everybody's player of the year in Southern California. He's so good. Um, which is incredible. Like just uh, him going with Fida to Arizona, he's going to terrorize us. Hopefully not too badly, but um, I'm just very impressed with him as a player. Like just incredible ball skills. Pretty much, pretty much. But we'll start with Nate Burrell. Um, strong kid, good rip move is what I've noticed the most with him. Gonna have to fill out. I think he played at around 255, 260 this season. So there's room to put on the frame. Wilcox repeatedly mentioned how explosive he can be. And I think we'll need to see more of it going forward. Because there wasn't too much, again, not too much film to watch on him. But, you know, again, another guy that was coveted by multiple Power 5 programs. And he's a guy who's been pretty ride or die throughout a tough year where, you know, he's seen a few of his teammates decommit or whatnot. So, Honestly, I'm really glad that you said that because that was about the big point that I was going to make is like, a uh, very limited film for us to know that that's the case reminds me in some ways of Achille Calhoun. Um, just solid. You see what the program was looking for, uh, but we want to maybe see like kind of that top end thing. But maybe that's just not available with with what was what we could see this year. Exactly, and. You know, you would like to, again, with like the offensive line, you want to see more just numbers, more bodies. But I think Cal actually has a relatively solid defensive line room with the hopes that Brett comes back big. I mean, he's in the marketing this year. I, I have to assume, right, uh, with the transfer portal, anything's possible these days, right? Like, he could just be decide like i'm out but i'm assuming brett's coming back i don't think brett wants his last snap in a cal uniform to be the way that it went so he's gonna be a big part of it um they have plenty of people uh coming through and i think the guy that i'm really excited about the the dark horse sleeper guy like the the uh the ethan saunders type guy nuni tui telly Mm -hmm. Really, really exciting film for me. If I had done superlatives this year, he was going to be my receipt guy. Same. Um, I I completely understand anybody who thinks Nuni Tuitelli is like a receipable because moves so well. Just like kind of like a on a higher level to uh, J.H. Tevis's high school film. Like, able to slice through the defense, but looking just maybe a couple takes more explosive off the ball. Just big hits. Uh, Also played on offense. He can move in space. And that's something he's going to have to do. That's something both he and Curly Thomas are going to have to do, is learn how to play in space a little more. But just they're good pass rushers, which is what this team needs more of with Cam Good and ostensibly Marcus Bimage and Coindang all not likely to be back next year. I mean, Good's obviously gone. Uh, Dang's probably gone. Bimage would need a waiver, which I kind of doubt happens at this point. Orin Patu. This is is Orin Patu's time. It really is. He has had some, like, I 
was it the Stanford game where he had a couple of reps and both of them he got pressures, or was that Colorado or Oregon State? Somewhere in there. It, it was or it was Colorado. Now I remember where he had I think four pass rushing reps and he got pressures on all of them. So this is your time, Oren, if you can just get it together. But uh, you know, Tuatelli, I think and that's the thing. It's like if you're gonna play up front and you can do kind of a Brett Johnson like win your matchup type thing, which the Bears have been lacking with without Brett, like all the I don't mean to malign like the defensive line performance this year. Like uh Luke Beckett came back, did a job, right? Like Jace Tevis has been a productive player, but there's nobody who will just kind of look across the guy from them, like in the front three and just be like, nah, we're done here. Like the the Bears are working in getting in more guys like that. Um the young classes that that have been gathered. Uh, Tuitelli, I think, is in that mold. Yeah. And we ought to move on to Curly Thomas as well. Another strong edge guy. I think what I liked the most about his film is you don't... There's the whole positioning thing that that is involved with being an edge player. Curly gets it from that perspective. You can see him you know, holding a guy off with one arm while trying to get around the edge. I don't know the level of talent in his league. It's it's pretty decent. It's Texas. It's private schools. They're, I Again, this is, this is not my area of expertise. I, I can half tell you about this area, and that's about it, and the Trinity League down south. But it, it's some good talent, and... He played extremely well against it, and I just liked how, one, he positioned himself, and two, he chased quarterbacks and made their lives very terrifying. A super, super productive player. I think we're talking about upwards of 20-something tackles for loss or sacks or something like that. I want to say it was 24 TFLs or maybe 24 sacks. I will. This is why Al Gore invented the internet. That's a ridiculous amount of production. Um, the thing that I'd like to see from Curly is, like, he's kind of in that tweener mold right now, just, like, at his size, uh, like, 250-ish. Like, he could either be the big linebacker, the Marquez Bimage-type player. Uh, they might transition him to an edge player. He might size up and play across the front. I don't really... Compared to some of the others, it's harder for me to see kind of where he's going to be at right now. Um, I know that the program really likes the addition. Um, this is just where I differ personally. You know, 24 tackles for loss, 16 sacks. Ridiculous. Like, those yeah. those are great numbers. I think I'm just waiting to figure out, like, where does he naturally look? Because, like, a, a, the Bears have a lot of front seven guys that they gathered in the last three classes. And you're going to have to find a way to throw them all in there at some point. So you can't keep relying on some of the older guys because they're gone now. So It's crazy that we're going to really see the first truly new Justin Wilcox team next year. Yeah, we saw glimpses of it at this point, but that was mostly with the corners and you know, the inside linebackers there. It's just, you know, 
new. Now everybody's gone. Defensive line, outside linebackers, safeties. You're going to get a lot of new, except for maybe Daniel Scott. Um, any any word on if Daniel Scott's returning? I always assume no, but... Haven't heard either way. All right. That'd be big, though. If, yeah. if they could get Daniel Scott back, um, just a terrific year for this year from him. And with that, uh, move to the last one, which is Jeremiah Irby. Just, again, another super productive player. And uh, Menel Atherton down there. Um, just, you could see he developed a lot as a cornerback, uh, safety type. Cal's going to have him play cornerback. I think he could definitely be a fit at safety as well. That's what I was thinking, honestly. Like, at first, I was under the impression, for some reason, the Bears had signed him at wide receiver, which was my mistake. Because I looked at him, I was like, oh, this is definitely a DB. This is de- like, with his body type, um, I think he plays – he's a little bit small, right? Like, the, the willingness to hit is there, but I think he needs to add a little bit more weight. Um, but I think he could be a really great safety. Yeah. And he, he hits, obviously. Another guy who could, I think, be a returner if you really wanted him to, if you didn't already have guys like uh, – you know, Lou and Justin Baker and even Jeremiah Hunter in that vein. So, uh, just really good athlete. I think could slide anywhere across the defensive front. I'm excited to get him into that DB room. Uh, now that also, you know, there'll be a second coach in there. Um, and a local kid. And I think that's something that we haven't emphasized a lot enough is like they've drawn players in Camp Sydney from uh, Modern Day. Uh, they've gotten another guy from St. John Bosco with Bur- Burrell. Like, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a good take for that, both for the area. Uh, Jackson Brown, if he's coming, is another good local take. Like, the Bears are back to being significant throughout California under Wilcox. Yeah. And, you know, you need to... Obviously, keep getting more, continue to get more, but you know it's it's better. They've, I think the most underrated, maybe not underrated, I don't know how to say it, piece of the Wilcox era is that, aside from a, maybe a couple stinkers, UCLA this year's one, they're in every game. There, there is an expectation that you're going to be in every game, and there will be a chance to win every game. And that's never been something, aside from a handful of Tedford years, that I've ever experienced with Cal in my lifetime. So, yeah, um, I mean the that's is worse. But <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think that's the case though. Like that, like if you look at the money that's invested and just like the quality of coach that's across the conference now. Um, granted, David Shaw and and some other guys have been fired, but just like the amount of investment and who he's fighting against, like. The team still plays hard for Wilcox. The team, Absolutely. like, really does that. Yeah. And that's not going to stop. So. He says ominously. <laughs> <sighs> but, I mean, that's, that is the truth, and, and you're right. And that appeared as early as, like, the third or fourth game for Wilcox in 2017. Like, number five USC. Like, a game that they shouldn't be in goes down to the wire, and... 
I think obviously the next jump and and what some fans have run out of patience with is when does that next jump actually happen? Um, and there's a pretty good chance that the Bears will be competitive again next year. I have always placed it as the next great Cal team will arrive in 2023, and I'm sticking to that, though. Apparently they are canceling the Aloha Bowl or the Hawaii Bowl instead of waiting a week and letting another team come in. It's, it's great, man. Like you, you like, look for anybody who's listening to this. That whole thing just happened live across our podcast. So there goes another bowl bid for Cal. Yeah, well, it, it was never gonna happen. It's <laughs> I I've realized that it is much much more fun to believe in something that is highly improbable instead of just you know cold hard take of reality because what what's life worth living if you can't have a little fun with the improbable quite frankly like and and this is what i just tweeted right like it's really easy to be cynical and unromantic about the world given everything that we know about it um and you know it's you gotta try to still have some fun while while it's still here exactly uh trace i think is that that's everybody right like, that's it's everybody small class it's, a, here. it's small class so. well uh is there anything else that we've forgotten to mention um no we got through everything that we wanted to cover usc coaches uh recruits all that fun stuff and now uh, we have to send you off in style don't we we already did that though like last podcast right like i did a whole thing like i made a closing statement uh about that so you know it's it's a it's a it's about time it's it's a good time good time to do that do you have anything you want to say as we officially end our podcast i never had anything good to say to begin with so boy if you don't i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna personally like i'm gonna guys if you're as upset at him as i am Right now, for saying that, I will kick his ass the next time I see him for you. Trace, even if you don't want like to say I'd like to so- see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's a metaphorical. Uh, I, but, I got a bit of a size advantage in that tale. Yeah, Let's um, that. Listen, guys, uh, if Tra- Trace has never been in the business of putting himself over, um, he's, he is no Hulk Hogan in that respect. Um, so and I'll put, no, I'm not going to compare myself to Dean Malenko. I'll put you over. Okay. Um, guys, uh, as we end this podcast series, um, I want to thank Trace for being my longest running partner, uh, for supporting me and honestly, just his growth into the role of Cal Rivals publisher. Um, yeah. Like, I think I know firsthand, we, more than any of you guys, like, what it's taken for him to, uh, g- like, you know, really become the person that he's become right now. And I, it's really been one of the greatest honors, and I've had a lot of those as, as a Cal writer, uh, to have hopped on and talked with him all these years. So while the podcast might be ending with me stepping out, like, it, it is something that I've really enjoyed to just talk to you and shoot the shit with you like all of this time, Trace, and I will miss you. I'll miss you too, fam. But, you know, there are plenty of years of Cal football left until the inevitable heat death of the universe. So yeah. Yes, sir. Got that to look forward to. 
Yes, sir. All right, folks. Um, I think that's gonna do it for us then. Yeah. Thanks Been for going listening. at it for over an hour. Thanks, thanks for all the stuff, you guys. Thanks for being generally kind, sometimes indifferent, um, but not Mostly too indifferent. mean. Mostly indifferent, but not too mean. And and I cannot tell you how much we both appreciate that, guys. Uh, for the final time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Cal Rivals Excellent Podcast Experience. Uh, my name is Nam Lay. Signing off for myself and Trace Travers. Yep. Thank you and go Bears. Go Bears. Oh, sh-